Hey, everybody. Uh, thanks so much for listening to The Collective Podcast. My name is Josiah, and I actually get to lead the ministry here with a bunch of other incredible people. Collective is the ministry for young adults for Grace Church Bath Campus. Uh, I hope you find this conversation helpful in your relationship with God. And I also want to invite you to check out Collective in person. We meet every Thursday night at 7 o'clock at Grace Church Bath Campus. And you can find all the info you need on our Instagram account, GCM underscore Collective. Once again, thanks for listening. I hope you enjoy. Is this on? Hey, what's up? It's good to see you all. Hey, my name is Josiah, if we've never met before. I see a lot of new faces out there. So what's up, everybody? I'm Josiah. I would love to talk after and, and, and meet everybody. I hope uh, everybody's getting the vibe to come on the retreat, man, to come on the retreat. Even if you're here for the very first time, uh, we have had many people come for the first time, sign up, and that's where all the friends are made. That The retreat in all of Grace Church, uh, the retreat is the best way for anyone that's 18, 28-ish. Uh, to get connected with with what's going on here. And so sign up, you'll make some friends forever. Unless you like lock yourself in a closet the whole time or just only hang out with your girlfriend. But that's like your own fault, you know? So don't blame me for that, you know? Uh, anyways, uh, yeah, so uh, for the past uh, few weeks, we've been in a series where we've been going through the book of Genesis. Genesis is the very first book in the Bible. So these are some of the oldest stories that we have. We've been going through the book of Genesis just trying to ask the question, what is sin? Uh, I think most people, when they think of, like sin, they think of like you're breaking God's rules. You know, you did something that makes God really mad. And when you actually read the Bible, uh, despite what the guys at Akron with the bullhorn might say, or the guys by Chipotle or whatever, and when you actually read the Bible, God's definition of sin is a lot more nuanced and it's a lot more complex and it's a lot broader than, uh, and more sophisticated. And I actually think when most people read the Bible, they actually find themselves agreeing with God's definition of sin. Like, oh man, there actually is something wrong with the world. And I see that. And, and I, and I see what that that is. Um, and so uh, according to the Bible, we talked about that sin is everything that's wrong in this world. Sin isn't just breaking God's rules. It's also like things like cancer or uh, ecological disasters or uh, depression and anxiety, anything that's wrong in the world. And some of those things are a direct result of like you broke God's commands. Uh, but probably most of those things are an indirect result of somebody else broke those commands, maybe even a long time ago. And now we're just kind of living in this world that, that's pretty, been pretty beat down over the course of time. Uh, so, you know, a few weeks ago, we saw that sin is everything wrong in the world. Last week, we talked about just like the relational impact of sin, uh, that sin causes you to like want to destroy other people that you think are doing better than you. And that's what jealousy is. And that's what, uh, you know, uh, if you're, you know, if you're a teenager circa 2012, that's what subtweeting is and like things like that. Uh, this week, what I want to talk about, it, it, we've given different definitions of sin. Here's the one I want to go with this week in, in the story that we're going to read. Sin is confusion. Sin is confusion. What sin causes in all of us is confusion of who I am and what I'm supposed to become. Confusion of, of who I am and what I'm supposed to become. Uh, it, you know, uh, you know that scene in Star Wars? where that guy walks up to Obi-Wan Kenobi and he's like, you want to buy some death sticks? You know, and uh, Obi-Wan looks at him and is like, I do not want to buy death sticks. And then he's like, you need to go home and rethink your life. You know what I'm talking about? Uh, today, tonight might be one of those. This might be everybody going home and like, man, I don't want to buy some death sticks. I need to go home and rethink my life. Uh, that's kind of where this story is going. Um, if there's one thing that marks uh, an 18 to uh, like all the way through your 20s in America, if there's one thing that marks uh, us, I would say, 
it's probably confusion about what I'm supposed to do with my life. Is that fair enough? Right? Confusion about like, am I doing the right thing? Am I on the right path? So uh, Pew Research put out a, a, a survey and it said that about only half of Americans are actually highly satisfied with their job, with their work. You know that thing that you spend most of your time doing? Well, apparently uh, only one in two of us actually even likes that part. Um, and what they found is actually the younger you are, uh, the worse you score. So the 18 to 29 age bracket is the most unsatisfied with the thing that you spend most of your time on. Uh, Census-wide reported that 75% of 25 to 23, uh, 25 to 33 year olds have experienced a quarter life crisis. <laughs> that is so early with the average age for a quarter life crisis being 27. You have so much longer to go, you know? Uh, and, and so out of those 25 to 33 year olds, they found uh, 59% are unsure of what to do in their next chapter of life. Who can relate? Uh, 54% are frustrated about their career options. 49% say they're not earning enough. 44% say that they're stuck in a rut. Oh man. 35 say that they're unsure if they should get married and have a baby because that's going to solve all your problems, man. All your insecurities go away when you get married and have a baby. Might as well just curse the kid too. You know, like half of us, that's where you came from. Anyways. Uh, and, uh, 33% they haven't achieved their personal goals. So where I thought I was going to be by now is not where I am. I feel like that's a lot of us, right? You had a vision of where you'd be at age 26. You had a vision of where you'd be at age 29. You had a vision of where you'd be at age 18. And I think most, uh, well, at least 33% of us would say we're not there. And then 32 would say they're not yet pursuing the career that they want. And this is like well into your 20s. In 2020, uh, the National Survey of Drug Use and Health revealed that the highest rates of mental illness were reported by young adults ages 18 to 25. I'm so sorry. Uh, and uh, it was immediately followed by the next age demographic. So the, the report says, we're all screwed. Uh, among young adults, over 40% reported mental illness. 40% reported like a, an, an official mental illness. This isn't like including just the general anxiety and the general depression and the general that everyone else feels. And in the past year, 11% had had thoughts of suicide. Um, and if you know anything about anxiety or depression or suicidal ideation, which unfortunately almost all of us know something about that, um, you, you, uh, you know that they, it stems from this place of like, I don't know what to do. Right? Or I'm not doing the wrong thing. So anxiety usually comes from a feeling of either like there's too many pressures or there's too many expectations and I can't meet them all at once. Or it, anxiety comes from this feeling of like, I, I'm not doing what I should be doing. Like I know I should be getting out of bed. I know I should be over here, but I can't just bring myself to do it. Depression usually comes from this feeling of like, my life is meaningless and I'm not actually making a difference. You know, like that I'm not actually contributing anything. It's like this hopeless feeling. And then suicidal ideation normally comes from this feeling of being trapped. I don't know how to escape the life that I've built for myself. And of course, if, if anyone in this room is, is having those thoughts, we'll stay here all night and talk to you. I mean, please, you're a blessing and made in the image of God. Um, now, you, you might not have like a diagnosed anxiety, depression, anything like that. But I think all of us can relate to the feeling. I think all of us have those thoughts all the time of, I don't totally know who I am. I don't totally know where I belong, and I don't totally know uh, if I'm doing the right thing with my life. And that's what sin does to people. It's confusion. Sin is confusion. Sin is the confusion of who I am and what I'm supposed to become. It's like a condition in my brain that makes me incredibly unconfident all the time. 
in the things that I'm doing. Incredibly insecure in all the things that I'm doing with my life. And the story we're about to read is one of the most profound stories I've ever read in my entire life. I feel like we could live in here for like the next month. We won't, it's just today. But uh, it's one of the most profound stories I've ever read and it's all about this. It's all about people who don't know who they are and it's all about people who don't know what to do. And just in a few lines, it kind of diagnoses the confusion of sin, but then at the end, it gives us the solution of sin and I want to show that to everyone. Um, So if you relate to anything that we're talking about, buckle up. This is going to be a wild ride. You do not want to sell me death sex. You need to go home and rethink your life. Also, uh, if you ever went through a Mumford and Sons phase, I know we're all ashamed. Um, this is a white people problem. I apologize. Uh, but you know that you know that era in 2012 when uh, you were supposed to like indie music. Like that's what made you cool. Like you and and like meanwhile, so you pretended to like indie music. You pretended that like somebody that I used to know was like a good song, even though it's just horrible. And meanwhile, Katy Perry was releasing bop after bop after bop after bop, and you were only allowed to listen to it in private because your friends couldn't know you like pop music. Is, this might just be a personal problem. This is something I went through anyways. Well, if you're a Mumford & Sons fan, which I'm not even really, but if you are, uh, this, <laughs> this story is actually the inspiration of their second album. So uh, this is the story of the Tower of Babel, or how they would say it, Babel. And uh, so if you've got a Bible or phone, Genesis chapter 11, uh, that's where we're going to be rocking and rolling. Genesis chapter 11, starting in verse 1. And I'll just put it on the screens and you can follow along. Uh, here's what it says. Now the whole world had one language and a common speech. So remember, Genesis uh, is the first book in the Bible. So the stories are the first stories that the Bible's like giving of what humanity was like. And at the beginning of the human story, if you think about it, there are no cultures, there are no languages, and there are no nations. Like, there's just like humanity. They're all like hanging out. Like it's like, you know, the Bible kind of tracks this like Adam and Eve through his family kind of thing. Um, so there's only one culture and everybody's still speaking the same language, which makes sense. And as people moved eastward, they found a plain in Babylonia and they settled there. They said to each other, come, let's make bricks and bake them thoroughly. Sounds so fun. They used brick instead of stone and tar for mortar. That, uh, then they said, come, we got these bricks. Let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches into the sky so that we may so that we may make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we're going to be scattered over the face of the whole earth. So these people have invented a new technology. They feel on top of the world. The technology is the brick. Uh, and I, I love that Genesis basically predicts that anytime humanity ever invents a new technology, they're like, we don't need God anymore. We got it all figured out. We got the brick. And we're like, we got the iPhone. You know. Anyways, so, so they invent this new technology and they're like, we have arrived. We have made it. And so they decide to build a city with a tower in the middle uh, that goes as high as it possibly can. They want the tallest tower you have ever seen so that they can make a name for themselves. But the Lord came down to see the city and the tower that the people were building. The Lord said, if as one people speaking the same language, they begun to do this, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and confuse their language so they will not understand each other. So the Lord uh, came down, he confused their language, he scattered them uh, from there all over the earth, and they stopped building the city. So there's something about this tower, and there's something about the city that bothers God a ton. It almost seems that like God is like intimidated by the tower. It almost seems like God is like afraid of the tower, which is kind of an odd 
you know, thought, right? Uh, that's at least how it comes across. And so God decides, here's what we're going to do. All these people are working on this tower all together. I'm going to cause them to all start speaking different languages. And when they all start speaking different languages, they're going to, you know, start arguing with each other because they're going to have no idea what they're talking about. And they're going to start yelling at each other. And eventually they're just going to give up on their tower project. And they're all going to spread out throughout the entire world. And so sure enough, that's exactly what happens. This, you could say, this is how the Bible explains racism and tribalism and in nationalism, right? Because all of a sudden, everybody like breaks up into their own pods and scatters throughout the world. And here's how the story ends. It says this, this is why it was called Babel. This is why it was called Babel. Because there, the Lord confused the language of the whole world. From there, the Lord scattered them over the face of the whole earth. And this tower is famously called the Tower of Babel. Now, here's what's really interesting about this. The Hebrew word for Babel, so Bible is originally written in Hebrew, right? Or this story is. The, the Hebrew word for Babel just means confusion. That's all it means. It means confusion. Uh, and what happens is, so Tower of Babel is the Tower of Confusion. And eventually, years and years later, if you track the story of the Bible or just history, uh, you're going to find that this city project is picked back up again. So eventually, some people come back to this place in Babylonia. They actually do make their city, and they actually do develop it out. And it's called the Nation of Babylon, or the, the Babylonian Empire, uh, which becomes the most powerful nation in the world. If you remember your middle school history class, you probably learned a lot about the Babylonian Empire. But here's what I just find interesting to call a historical, the most powerful nation in the world. The, the nation of Babylon literally means the nation of confusion. That's what it means. It literally means the nation of confusion, which is such a strange name. And if you study the Bible, uh, the parallels between the nation of Babylon and the nation of the United States is unreal. The United States of America follows the Babylonian blueprint to a T. And, and so in many ways, America is also the nation of confusion, which explains a lot of our experiences, almost all of our experiences. I'm not sure what I should do. I'm not sure where I should go. It's confusion. And the Bible says, yes, all of this confusion is explained in, in this representation of the story of the Tower of Babel, the Tower of Confusion. Now, here's a question. What is this story all about, Right? What is this story all about? Uh, I think people have used this story to say God hates progress and electricity. Like that's the Amish. They probably love the story of the Tower of Babel, right? So we all need to like, you know, get on our horses and like in our buggies, but we legally have to add like turning signals to our buggies. So we just need a little bit of electricity, but otherwise God hates it. You know, like a lot of people have, have taken this story of like, be careful not to be too successful. God doesn't like business people. God doesn't like corporations. God doesn't like people that acquire wealth. If you're too successful, God's going to knock you down because God hates it when you're like accumulating something. Um, but, but that's not what this story is about. That, that, you're really missing the point if you come to that conclusion. All throughout the Bible, uh, building something, building, becomes a metaphor for what I spend my life on. Building becomes a metaphor for what the things that I spend my life on. So I, I just want to do a little mental exercise for everybody. Everybody nice and awake? It is a little mental exercise. Um, I want everybody to think, what were the top three things that you spent the most time on in the past two weeks? What were the top three things? Like, I actually want you to, like, do the math. Like, how many hours did I play Fortnite? <laughs> you know, did I log back into Webkins? You know, like, what were the top three things that I, that I spent my time on? So, uh, did, did you work? What did you work on? 
How long did you work on it? Uh, maybe you were studying. How long did you study for, for your undergrad or your master's or some past that? Uh, did you spend time with your boyfriend or your girlfriend or your fiance or your spouse? Uh, how much alone time did you have? How much time did you spend with friends? How much time did you spend uh, at, at parties? How much time did you spend on social media? If you want to know that, uh, Apple will tell you. Uh, how much time did you spend texting? How much time did you spend watching football or you know updating your, your fantasy team? Uh, how much time did you spend uh, watching movies, just like Netflix or you know whatever whatever's out? It, just think purely objective. What were the top three things that I spent my time on? Kind of got it in your head? All right, now I want you to do the same thing actually about money. So I want you to think, what were the top three things that I spent my money on? And what I want you to do, I want you to lump all your bills into one category. So let's say bills are probably number one for most of us. But what else did you spend your money on? Restaurants, people, et cetera, et cetera. Um, it, once you got that in your head, here's the deal. Whether you like it or not, the thing you spend the most time on and the thing you spend the most money on is what you're spending your life on. The thing you spend the most time on, the thing you spend the most money on, is what you're spending your life on. A lot of us are like, I love Jesus. I spend my life on Jesus Christ. Well, this is an objectively provable thing. So why don't you actually like do the math? The thing that you spend the most time on, you spend, that's what you're spending your life on. It's what you're building up with your life. Now, this tower that they're building becomes a symbol for wasting your life. So think of it this way. Tower is an image of wasting your life. Actually, and, and, uh, Jesus tells a very similar parable about storehouses. And it's this idea of like accumul- spending all my time and all my resources on things that are meaningless, on things that will not last, on things that, 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 that don't help anybody else. But then Jesus contrasts it. So a tower represents wasting your life. According to Jesus, kingdom, God's kingdom, becomes a metaphor for spending your life on the right things. The tower versus the kingdom. Uh, God's kingdom is, is, is spending your life on things that will give you fulfillment, spending your life on things that will give you meaning in life. So here's the whole point of the whole thing. Here's what I'm trying to say. There's only two things you can do with your life. You can build a tower or you can build God's kingdom. There's no in between. There's only two things you can do with your life. You can build a tower or you can build God's kingdom. And so for the rest of the night, uh, I want you to be asking yourself, which one am I actually building? I might like say, you know, I, I fight for my friends. Like you might be saying like all these types of things, but you can build a tower or a kingdom. Which one are you actually building? Um, in this story, we're going to find three questions that are going to help you figure out what you're spending your life on and, and whether or not you're spending your life on the right things. Don't we all want to know if we're spending our life on the right things? Well, congratulations. Today is going to tell you. So here's the first question that we get from the story. Uh, to ask about what we're building. Uh, the first question is this. Why am I building what I'm building? We're all spending our life on something. We're all building something, right? First question is, why am I building what I'm building? Um, if you look at the story of the Tower of Babel, they tell us why they're building what they're building, right? So if you look at like, why did these guys build a tower? Like what could the possible purpose of building like this giant windmill before electricity is ever discovered? And the, what could the possible purpose of that be? And, and they say, if you look at verse four, they say, uh, then they said, come let us build a city for ourselves with a tower that reaches to the sky so that we may make a name for ourselves. It's a key phrase. So that we may make a name for ourselves. You ready for it? The reason they're building a tower is because they are fundamentally insecure. That's the reason. The reason they're building a tower is because they don't know who they are. They're very insecure about who they are and they want people to notice them. 
come on, I built this really cool tower. Look at me. Yeah. They're very, they're very, they're hoping someone's going to notice them. And they think maybe if I build this tower like high enough, you know, people are going to think, wow, you know, they got a big tower, you know, like maybe. Um, so when I was in high school, I really liked this girl. Uh, like a ton. Uh, but this girl is not nearly as interested in me as I am in her. And so I have a whole playlist about that somewhere deep on my Spotify. Uh, and, but I, I remember one time I was talking to her. I just like overheard her talking and she's in, they're talking about what TV show she likes. And she says, yeah, my favorite TV show is the hit nineties TV series, friends, like my favorite TV series. And, and she's like, yeah, every day after school, like I go home and watch friends. Like that's just how I blow off some steam. Um, and, and so that summer, because I liked her so much, and I just, you know, I really needed her to like me too. I spent, uh, for the next year, actually, I watched every single episode of Friends from start to finish. Like, I would come home from school, I would just binge Friends. That way I could, like, come and be like, you know, Chandler Bing, you know, like, all that kind of stuff. And uh, I, I, I just, and if you were asking me, like, what was my top three at that time, I was, like, watching Friends. That is, like, number one. Now, here's the thing. Here's the thing. I hated Friends. I, I do not think Friends is funny at all. Chandler is a funny character. I'll give you that. Ch- Chandler is a funny character, and the Janice bit is a funny bit. Outside of that, what are you watching? That's just a horrible show. Uh, I did not think Friends was, was funny at all. Here, here's what I need you to know. I didn't watch that show. I didn't spend all that time because I knew who I was, and I was confident in who I was. I, spent, I invested my life that way because I was so insecure, and I needed somebody to notice me. I spent all my time because I needed somebody to notice me. Listen, here's my question. Why do you spend your life on the things you spend it on? Why do you build what you build? Why do you spend your time doing uh, what you do? I bet for most of us, if we're actually being honest, the real reason we do most things is so that someone will notice notice us. If my boss sees how hard of a worker I am, then maybe he'll promote me. Maybe he'll respect me. Maybe uh, he or she will give me the affirmation that my parents never gave me, right? Maybe I'll make it further. Maybe I'll make more money. And that's why I'm always working overtime. That's why I'm always stressed. That's why I'm always anxious. That's why I can never hang out, right? Because if I work, maybe they'll notice me. If my dad sees that I graduated college with straight A's, maybe he'll be proud of me. Or maybe I'll just get off my case, right? If my dad sees no one in my family ever like graduate college, no one ever. So if I can prove to my dad that I'm not screw up because I never was good at soccer the way he wanted me to be good at soccer. If my dad sees that I graduate with straight A's, maybe, uh, you know, you might say, you might say, you know, people, you know, growing up when I was a kid, I was a scrawny kid, whatever. People never thought I was going anywhere. They never, go, they never thought I was going anywhere. Well, if only they could see me now. I'm the most influential of us all. I, I've made it the farthest. I have the best job. I, I am, you know, the kids that were so popular in school, they're not doing really well anymore. And they, I, no one noticed me, but now I'm doing the best. If they could only see me now. Be honest. Why do you spend so much time with that special person? So much time. They don't have time for basically anything else anymore except that. Well, it's, it's because they notice you. you. You never felt seen before. Actually, you can typically tell how insecure a person was before they started a relationship because once they're in the relationship, they're obsessed. It's everything because they never felt loved before. And all of a sudden someone's paying attention to me. Why do you post about your relationship so often? Why do you post about your relationship so often? Let me tell you why. So you can prove to the world that you're the type of person that's lovable. That's why. So you can prove to the world 
that you're the type of person. It has nothing to do with your relationship. It has nothing to do with the other person. You could just say, I love you. You don't have to put it on Instagram. It's to prove to the rest of the world that you're the type of person that's lovable. Why do you spend so much time slaving at the gym? Why do you work? Here's a big one. Why do you work so hard? You just work so hard on a degree that you know you don't need and you have no plans of ever using. Why do you spend so much time on a a degree that you know you don't need and you have no plans of ever using? Well, here's why. Because that's what you're supposed to do. That's what you're supposed to do. If people knew that I don't have a degree, how would they ever respect me? If people found out that I, that I didn't follow the proper American path, how, how would they ever take me seriously? If, if people, and you realize this, anytime you do something because that's what you're supposed to do, you're doing it out of insecurity. You know that, right? Anytime you do something because that's what you're supposed to do, quote unquote, you're comparing yourself to other people. You're trying to keep up with them, get ahead of them, or at least keep up with them. And so you're, you're, you're doing it out of insecurity. I, and here's the scariest part of the whole thing. So back to when I was watching Friends, that hellhole of my lifetime, uh, back when I was watching them, here, you know, I, I honestly believed at the time that I enjoyed the TV show Friends. I honestly thought that I liked it. Like if you would have asked me, like, what's your favorite show? I'm like, right now it's Friends. I love watching Friends. Oh my gosh. You know, I, I thought it was the greatest thing in the world. Here's the deal. Once that girl left my life, I have never voluntarily watched Friends again. <laughs> Never once. And I think, listen, here's my fear. I think many of us have convinced ourselves that we are actually choosing the decisions that we're making. We've convinced ourselves that we actually like doing what we're doing with our lives. That, but the reality is we're doing it because we're afraid. We're doing it because we, to make a name for myself. We're doing it so that other people will notice me. We're doing it because that's what we're supposed to do. None of the things I listed off are bad things necessarily. It's not the things that are the problem. It's the why. The why can be the most toxic thing in your life. Why are you spending that, uh, that much time? And what if the only reason I'm doing what I'm doing is because I've been told that's what I'm supposed to do? It's a tower of confusion. It's a tower of insecurity. My life is to make a name for myself. Sin has caused me to spend my whole life doing something for no reason other than the fact that someone else who I want to notice me has told me that that's what I'm supposed to do. That's the first question. Why are you building what you're building? Here's the second question. Second question is, what direction is my life pointed? So why do I do what I do? But second, what direction is my life pointed? So um, where's the, there's the kingdom and the tower, right? The kingdom and the tower, and I'm one or the other. The kingdom, the direction of Jesus's kingdom is always pointed out and at others. So which direction is my life headed? The direction of Jesus' kingdom is always pointed out and at others. Look at what Jesus tells his followers to do uh, with his kingdom in, in Acts chapter one. He says this, he says, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem where they were standing and then Judea and Samaria a little bit further and then to the ends of the earth. So what Jesus is saying is, listen, if you're following me, you're not going to stay put. If you're following me, you're not going to stay in the same spot. If you're following me, you're not going to build, 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 build. If you're following me, you're going to go out. And, and the, the purpose of your life is going to know me and to, to receive my love, but then to take my love and take my message to every person that you come across, to take my message to the ends of the earth. That's what God's kingdom does. That's what the Garden of Eden was supposed to do, and that's what the kingdom of heaven is supposed to do. The direction of God's kingdom is always out, always out for the sake of other people. But look at the city of Babel, okay? Compare that to the city of Babel. Which direction did they build up their lives? Up. They built up. Uh, Their grand plan 
was to build a tower that went absolutely nowhere. And once we get up there, like, what do we do? Well, we keep building. <laughs> okay. <laughs> they build, build, build. Where, are they going to help anyone? No? Are they, going, are they going to be with anybody else? Are they going to spread who God is or, or even love or just help people? No. No, we're going to build up a life for ourselves. We're just going to go up and up and up. And to quote the greatest American poet of all time, Cardi B, it's up, then it's up, then it's up, then it's stuck. <laughs> right? They had absolutely no plans of helping anyone else. They were building a tower with all the resources that went absolutely nowhere. Look at what they say. Verse four, come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves. Otherwise we will be scattered over the face of the whole earth. Where does Jesus tell his followers to go? To the whole earth. Where do these guys not want to go? To the whole earth. And that's a lot of us, isn't it? How do I know if I'm spending my life on the right things? How do I know if I'm spending my life on the right things? Well, what direction is your life pointed? Is it pointed out and at others, or is it just pointed up and up and up for your own sake? Let me ask you a series of questions. When you took your last job, what were your reasons for taking it? I bet it was how much money I would make and how happy it would make me feel and what opportunities it would give me in the future and how it advanced my career, right? Um, when you quit your last job, did you ever ask, before I quit, is there anyone here that maybe God has placed in my life that I can share Christ with and I can share who Jesus is. Did you ever ask that? Did you ever ask before you quit, before I leave this job, because I hate it so much and my boss is so such an idiot, blah, 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 blah. Before I leave this job, have I been 100% faithful to everything Jesus wants me to do here? Have I given it my all or did I quit like my second day in when I realized it wasn't meeting my needs? Um, when you moved out of your house, the last place that you live, what, what were your reasons? What were your motivations for moving out of your house? Well, these people are so toxic for me. They really bring me down. I can't really, they're such slobs. Like they leave all their stuff all over. My friend's girlfriend is super weird and she keeps coming over. Uh, but seriously, what if those people were hurting? What if God put those people in your life for like a, a very real reason? What if your family needed help? Did, did, did you, I'm not saying you had to stay, but did you ask those questions? When you hang out with people on evenings or weekends, what determines who you reach out to, who you want to hang with? Do you think like, oh man, who's struggling? You know, or like who doesn't feel like loved and who doesn't feel seen? Or man, who's really going through a hard time right now that I could be with? And like maybe being together would really help. Who could I tell about Jesus? Who could I share my faith with? Or is it who's fun? Who makes me laugh? Who doesn't get on my nerves? Who doesn't bring up the subjects that I don't want to talk about? Right? Isn't that most of us? Uh, or this, this, this one, this is only for followers of Jesus. So if you're not following Jesus in this room, just off the hook. But when you sat down to the people, next to the people that you're sitting with right now, what was the determining factor of the people you sat with? If you're new here, just ignore this question. But it, what was the determining factor of the people that you sat with? Did you look for someone who's new or who looks uncomfortable? Did you look for someone that maybe you have a hard time building a relationship and so maybe this is the time? Did, did you look for someone that you could reach out to and that you can welcome in? Or did you just find your friends? Or did you just find the people that make you comfortable? Or did you just sit with that guy who you think is super hot, but in about 20 minutes you're going to learn that he has a horrible personality? Like, <laughs> what, what were the ter determining factors uh, of the people that you sat with? Listen, listen, listen. Whether you're a follower of Jesus or not, can I tell you why you're probably depressed? Depression is a complicated thing. This isn't a catch-all. 
But whether you're a follower of Jesus or not, can I tell you why you're probably down? Can I tell you why you probably don't know what to do with your life? Can it, for those of us that believe in God, can I tell you why probably you're not experiencing the power of God in your life, even though you believe all the right things? Can I tell you why all those things are probably happening? Here's why. Because all you ever think about is yourself. What is insecurity? Insecurity is perpetually thinking about myself over and over and over. I'm ugly. I'm not smart enough. I'm not good enough. What is arrogance? Because some of you, like your friends, say you're too arrogant. What is arrogance? Arrogance is perpetually thinking about yourself all the time. It's exactly the same thing. I'm awesome. I'm sexy. I'm, you know, whatever. Can I tell you why you don't know what to do with your life? You're just staying in the same place. Everything you do is to make a name for yourself. Everything you do is to make yourself happier. Everything you do. And so, of course, you have no meaning to your life. Of course. Of course, you don't feel like you're contributing anything. Of course. You are special, made in the image of God, but you're not living that out. You're not bringing that to other people to quote perhaps the second greatest American poet of all time, Taylor Swift. It's me. Hi. <laughs> I'm the problem. It's me. <laughs> you think about ourselves all the time. Human beings were not designed to feel fulfilled by thinking about themselves. The most fulfilling thing you can do is lay down your life for others. Here's a quote from Jesus. Ready? Jesus says this. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny who? Me. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. Whoever wants to save their life is going to lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will what? Find it. Our lives were meant to be given away. The most meaningful thing you could ever do is to lay down your life for Jesus Christ. And the first thing Jesus is ever going to do is he's going to point you in the direction of other people. That's what it means to live for Jesus Christ. If you're not giving your life away, all you're doing is building a tower that goes up and up and up and leads absolutely nowhere. That's what you're doing with your life. Now, um, some of you say that you like, you love Jesus. You're like, I believe all the right things. You know, I like, I share things on TikTok, you know, uh, like I, I, I really love Jesus. But here's the thing. You might, you might say that you love Jesus, but you're only interested in what Jesus says that can help you. You say you love Jesus, but the only interest you have in Jesus is the things that you think can help you. So when I start talking about, yeah, you need to risk being fired to tell other people about Jesus Christ, you're like, yeah, 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 yeah. But when I talk about dating, you're like, oh my gosh, tell me more. You know, when we do a dating series here, it drives me crazy. Attendance goes through the roof. You shallow, shallow people. You know, it's like, you know, uh, when I start talking about, you know, Jesus has built the church so to be like the beacon of rescue to the world. Jesus has built the church to be a hospital to the sick. So the people that are most broken, the people that are most hurting, that are probably going to get on your nerves, can all come and they can find the love of Jesus. You're like, yeah, I totally agree. I totally agree with that. But you never help. This man eyes. You never help. You're way too busy to like lead something. You're like, well, I got, you know, I got my career. You know, I'm, I'm 27 now. I really got my life figured out. I got to go to bed at eight o'clock so that I can wake up at seven o'clock. You know, it's like you never help. You never jump in. Why? You're too busy building your tower. You're either, bu- either building a kingdom or a tower. There's no in between. You're either building a kingdom or a tower, which leads to the final question. Here's the third and final question. The final question is this. What does your life revolve around? 
The final question is, what does your life revolve around? Think back to your schedule. Think back to what you spend your money on. Think back to those three things, right, that you're, that you're, you're spending your life in. Um, so think about this with me. So a few weeks ago, we looked at the first story in the Bible, the story of Adam and Eve, the story of the Garden of Eden, right? And the Garden of Eden was really supposed to be like a garden city. So the Tower of Babel, the city of Babylon is not the first city in the Bible. The first city in the Bible is, 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 is the Garden of Eden. God, God built that city to go out and, and to help, you know, everybody. And what was in the center of the Garden City? What did the Garden City revolve around? Does anyone remember? Two trees, right? You guys remember this? It revolved around two trees. Uh, the Tree of Life and the Tree of the Knowledge of Good and Evil. And those two trees represented God's love, the Tree of Life, and God's truth, the Tree of the Knowledge of Good and Evil. So everything humanity was ever supposed to do was always supposed to revolve around God's love and God's truth. Everything that Adam and Eve ever were supposed to build was always supposed, all of life revolved around God's love and God's truth. The roots of God's love and God's truth stretched into everything that was ever built. But in the city of Babel, what does the city revolve around? What's in the center? The tower. The tower. Let me ask you something. What does your life revolve around? What does your life revolve around? What were the three things that you're spending your life on? That's what your life revolves around. That's your tower. Because whatever your life functionally revolves around is what you believe makes you valuable. You understand this. Whatever your life functionally revolves around, it's probably out of an insecurity. And the reason your whole life revolves around it is because that's what you believe makes you valuable. I remember when I was in high school, uh, everyone was athletic except me. If you've ever seen me uh, play basketball, uh, you will learn. Not good. No bueno. You know, I really, really, really suck. And so uh, everyone at my high school was super athletic and uh, our school was definitely like a sports oriented school. And so I remember being in high school, you know, super insecure, everything. I'm so insecure to this day, but high school was like, wow, you know? And so I, I remember like going uh, to like soccer games and basketball games and football games and all this kind of stuff. And I would see these kids get so much attention. You know, they get so every, they were so celebrated. Like all of our peers were like, yeah, football. I mean, we suck, but you scored once. You know, it's like, and, and I remember, you know, one of the things, they, they would walk through the hallway and they would get shout outs. And I remember one of the things that really stuck with me was uh, teachers in class would like call out a kid and be like, nice game, kid. And I'm like, geez, like, how do you get that? Like, man, what an affirmation. Like, I really wish I, I just want to be you, you know? And, and so I, and I, I was so insecure at the time and I was so bitter about that. I was so bitter that, that they were getting noticed and I didn't have the skills or the opportunities to get noticed in the same way. And I was honestly jealous. I was like, no teacher has ever noticed. I think I'm kind of funny. No one seems to care about that. You know, it's like, I, I just want to be noticed. But then one day I, I realized about halfway through high school, I realized that I had something that none of the other kids have. Um, I could play the drums pretty well when I was in high school. Now, no one else in the school played the drums, so I was the best by default. But in a sports-oriented school, just a little bit of musical talent makes you a god, you know? And so uh, I, I actually had, like, there were quite a few opportunities I had at the time to play drums in front of everyone. And I, I over the course of time, it started happening to me. Like, people would, like, pull me in the hallway. They're like, Josiah, you're really good at the drums. I'm like, 
wow, me, you know my name. You know, it's like, he took the glasses off. Now I'm beautiful. You know, and, uh, you know, my, my friends would be like, you know, Josiah, you're really talented. Like you really play drums. I'm like, thank you. Thank you. Tell my bandmates that. Uh, and I, I remember, uh, I remember the thing that really like the teachers started noticing me. There was one teacher that asked me to bring a signed drumstick to his desk. I was like, I've made it, man. I, I, I have made it. I play the drums. I need to make a name for myself. And so I, I went all in on music, man. I went all in. I need, people notice me. People see me. I have this one. It's like the guy said, we make bricks. Let's go all in on the bricks. I can play the drums. Let's go all in on the drums. Everything was all, all, all drums all the time. And so when I graduated high school, guess what I thought I, I needed to do with my life? I needed to do music, right? I needed to play in bands. And because in my mind, that's all I was. That's the only thing that made me valuable. It's the only thing that anyone paid attention to me for. And so I, I thought, like, I'm going to be a drummer of a band or I'm going to do something like that. I'm going to do it for, for the kingdom and ministry and something like that. You know, and, and I started building my whole life around music. I started building a tower. Do you know why? Because I was so insecure. I didn't think I was valuable. I didn't know who I was. I didn't feel loved. And I was confused. So I went all in on this thing hoping, praying that maybe someone is going to notice me. Listen, each of us has a version of that, right? Each of us has a version of that, but here's what you got to ask. What happens when that tower starts to fall down? Or worse yet, in the story, what happens when you no longer have the ability to keep building up that tower? What happens when you're not good at the thing that everyone else notices you for? What happens when she finally discovers the truth about who you are and she wants to leave you? What happens when you're not smart enough to figure it out this time? You're not the smartest person in the room. You're not capable. Uh, What happens when your friends, they don't give you the benefit of the doubt, and so they abandon you, and they leave you behind, and they stop inviting you to things, maybe based on a lie or maybe based on something really stupid that you did? What happens when you can't resolve that relationship that you're trying to fix? You've always been able to fix it. You've always been able to talk it through. But this time, I think it's really over. This time, I really think it's done. What happens when you make a fool of yourself? And you do something that you super regret. What happens when you can't please God the way that you think you should? Because a leader needs to be blah, 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 blah. But you can't get over whatever you're struggling with. What happens? What happens when there's nothing that makes you particularly unique in anyone's eyes anymore? What happens when you don't know your name? What happens when you don't have a name for yourself? What's going to happen? When your tower starts to fall apart, what happens is you have an identity crisis. That's what happens. And I think many of us right now, we're in an identity crisis right now. You don't know who you are anymore. The name you have given yourself means nothing to you or to anyone else. And when we have that identity crisis, if you believe in God or even have a concept of God, what happens is you start blaming God and you say, God, why did you let this happen? You know, that's a story. It's like, God, you messed up the thing we're working on. You did that. What, God, why did you let this happen? Why did you put me here? Why did you give me something I couldn't handle? Uh, why did you let me make that stupid decision? Why are you taking this struggle away from me? God, do you even see me? God, are you even real? God, why did you let this happen? And that's what happens in this story. It seems, it seems in the story that as soon as they get the tower like a little bit high, then God just has to come and mess it up. And that's what many of us think God is. That the moment that we get something going for us, the moment we get like a little bit of confidence, 
The moment that life starts going in a positive direction, God just comes and just messes it all up because he doesn't want you getting too cocky. You know, he doesn't want you enjoying life too much. He doesn't want to see that stupid smile on your face. And so God comes down and he messes up everything that you have going on. He just waits till you got something good and then he ruins it. But what if that's not why God lets this tower get knocked down? What if that's not the purpose of the story at all? What if that's not why God lets this tower get knocked down? What if the reason God lets the tower fall is not because he's mad at you? What if the reason God lets the tower fall is because he loves you with all of his heart? God sees everything, right? Right? Can we agree on that? If God's real, he sees everything, right? Um, Which means God sees things in my life and in your life that maybe the rest of the world doesn't get to see, right? Moments that maybe the rest of the world doesn't get to see. So God sees when you're out with your friends and you're laughing and you're having the best time in the world and you just feel, you just feel like you're all together. He, he sees that. But God also sees what no one else sees. God also sees what only you know about. God also sees when you come home late at night and you're laying in bed and you just wonder... Do those people actually care about me? Or do they just think I'm fun? When you're sitting there and you're thinking, does anyone even care about me? Like if I, if I didn't keep up with them, if I wasn't in the right place, would they have even invited me? Do they just feel bad for me? Does anyone actually care? God sees that moment because you're so insecure about whether somebody would actually care about you or not. God sees when you're on that date with that person, man. And he's so happy for you. He really is. He sees the way you smile. He sees the way you light up. He sees that you're having the greatest time in the world. But do you know what else he sees? He sees you when you get home and you just keep looking at your phone, waiting for them to text you back. And you just keep checking and you keep checking and you keep checking. Because if they don't text you back, how do you know that they even care? He sees when you have the fight and you're terrified. You're on the verge of tears. Because you're, if I lose this, who am I? If this person doesn't love me, who will? If this person isn't part of my life, who is going to be? He sees those moments too. He sees you petrified. When God sees you crush it at work, man, he's so, you're so smart, you know? And your father is so proud. He sees you crush it at work. But do you know what else he sees? He sees that when you get home, you know that you have to crush it the next day. And the next day, and the next day, and the next day, and the next day. And so you're so anxious. You're so happy when you're at work, but when you get home, you're terrified. Because if you can't keep performing, if you can't keep up, you're worried you're going to lose your spot. You're worried you're going to lose respect. You're worried you're going to lose the approval. And so you're so anxious all the time, you're going to drop the ball. God sees you look in the mirror over and over and over, just checking, trying to make sure that you look the right way to be loved by somebody else. God sees you laying in bed at night. God sees the anxiety. God sees the tears. God sees the moment that no one, God sees you crying. He sees you angry. He sees all these moments. But when God sees you in those moments, I need you to understand something. He's not mad at you. When God sees you in those moments, he's not mad at you. When God sees you in those moments, he has nothing but empathy and compassion. He loves you with all of his heart, but he also knows that unless somebody knocks that tower down, unless someone removes that tower from your life, then for the rest of your life, you're going to be anxious. 
For the rest of your life, you're going to be nervous. For the rest of your life, you're going to be afraid. You're always going to be insecure. Listen, why does God let the tower get knocked down? Why does God let you go through an identity crisis? Here's the reason. Unless you walk away from the tower, you'll never know unconditional love. That's the reason. Unless you walk away from the tower, you'll never know unconditional love. Do you know who Jesus is? Do you know what Jesus is like? Jesus says, you do not have to do anything for me to love you with all my heart. Do you know that? Jesus says, you can work all day, every day for the rest of your life, and I will love you with all my heart. And you can screw up all day, every day for the rest of your life, and I will love you with all my heart. There's nothing you can do that will get me to love you anymore. There's nothing you can do that will get me to love you any less. Because Jesus does not love you based on what you do. Jesus loves you based on who you are. You're God's kid. You're exactly who he wants you to be. So you can mess up and you can succeed. And God's love for you is overflowing with compassion. He wants you all the time. Do you know what the Bible says about Jesus? This is wild. The Bible says, while you were still in sin, while I was still in sin, well, you are still in sin, that that was the moment that Jesus died for you. That's in the book of Romans. Do you know what that means? That means when you're passed out, drunk, from that stupid night that you did, Jesus looked at you and he says, I love you, I would die for you. I love you, I would die for you. That means when you, when you said the stupidest thing that you've ever said in your life, and everyone else said, I never want to talk to them again, I never want to see them again, they're toxic, they're evil, they're angry, they need self-control. Jesus looked at you in that moment and says, I love you. I will die for you right here, right now. I love you. I will die for you. That means when you made the worst sexual mistake of your life, you know, the one that you're still embarrassed of, Jesus looks at you in that moment and says, I love you. I will die for you. This moment does not decrease my love for you any bit. This moment does not make me love you any less. That means in the most shameful moment of your life, Jesus says, I still love you with all my heart. My love for you has not adjusted at all. During the worst moment of your life, Jesus looked at you and said, I love you. I will die for you. That is unconditional love. And do you know what that love does? It gives you confidence. It gives you confidence because now when somebody looks at you and says, you know, you really suck at your job. Like you really need to find a new job. You really need to find a good career. You can look at them and say, you know, you might be right, but my value doesn't come from my job. You, you might be right. I really might need to find a new career. Like, but that's not where my value comes. My value comes from Jesus Christ. I don't need your affirmation. I have his. And I'm here right now. So I'm going to be as faithful as I can be, and God's going to give me the strength. When somebody looks at you and says, you're less, you can look and say, I know who God says I am. But listen, that confidence will only come if you walk away from that tower. You, some of you, like, I'm talking about the confidence. Like, I'm talking invincible confidence. Like, you're at the gym looking so stupid. You don't care. Yeah, you, you say the dumbest thing ever, whatever, super embarrassing. You don't care. I'm talking about invincible confidence. Some of you have no idea what I'm talking about. It's because your life is revolving around the tower. If you want unconditional love, you have to walk away from the tower. You know, this story uh, perfectly foreshadows Jesus. It, every story in the Bible leads to Jesus. And this, this story perfectly foreshadows Jesus and his death and his resurrection in a powerful way. My brother Isaac, he was the one that, that pointed this out. We were reading this story. And uh, Isaac says, you want to know how the story points to Jesus? Isaac says, look at verse 5. So look at verse 5. And it says this, but the Lord came down. 
to see the city and the tower that the people were building. You want to hear the good news of Jesus Christ summarized in four words? The Lord came down. Jesus came down to be with you. When, when you were doing the stupidest thing you've ever done in your life, Jesus came down to be with you. And that's the message of Jesus. The Lord came down. Uh, Jesus didn't hate the people that were building the tower. He came down in order to rescue them. And that's what Jesus is all about. But here's the deal. While you are so busy trying to climb up to the heavens, while you are so busy trying to get impress God, while you're so busy trying to climb up and make a name for yourself, God was busy coming down to earth to find you and let you know your true name. You are a child of the king. You're God's kid. You're a child of God. And, and, and so what happens is as long as you're up there building that tower, as long as you're up there trying to make a name for yourself, you're going to miss Jesus because Jesus is down there in the dirt trying to find you. As long as you're building this light, you're going to miss Jesus every time because Jesus is down there in the dirt trying to find you. And that's why God lets the tower fall. It wasn't because he hates the people. It wasn't because he's mad at them. It's because he wants them to find Jesus Christ. In the worst depression of my life, that was the moment I found Jesus Christ. Sometimes that's how it works. It's when you walk away from the tower that that's when you find Jesus. Jesus would rather die than let you live not knowing who you are. And you are God's kid. So I want to end with two questions. I want to end with two questions. Um, the first is for anyone in this room who would say that you're not a follower of Jesus, or you're not sure about that yet. The first is for anyone in this room who's kind of investigating who Jesus is and, all, and what he's all about. Here's my question to you. Ready? Do you know who you are? I really mean that. Do you know who you are? Can you say who you are without talking about what you do? Can you say who you are without talking about your relationships? Like, do you know who you are without referencing the tower? Do you know who you are? Listen, here, here's the truth. The world is going to always call you by what you do. You're a success, you're a failure. You did well, you did bad. You work here, you work there. You screwed up, you didn't screw up. The, the world is always going to call you by what you do, but God is always going to call you by your name. You are my kid. You are my son. You, you are my daughter. I give you value. Your value comes from me. You're in my family. The world's always going to call you by what you do. God is always going to call you by your name. And once you know whose kid you are, you'll know who you are. Once you know whose kid you are, you know who you are. And so I'm, I'm asking you, for real, do you know who you are? Because if you don't, you need to begin a relationship with Jesus. It will change everything. It will change everything. So walk away from the tower. Let, let the tower kind of fall. Walk towards the love of Jesus. And it's going to mess up your life. Don't get me wrong. It's going to mess up your life. But you're going to find fulfillment. Because what's the point of gaining the whole world and losing your soul? What's the point of having it all but having no idea who you are whatsoever? Do you know who you are? The second question is for any of us who would call ourselves a follower of Jesus. Here's my question to you. Have you gone back to building your tower? That's for real. Have you gone back to building your tower? What are the three things you spend your life on? What are the things that get the most energy? What are the things that get the most emotion? What are the things that get the most time? What are the things that get the most money? I think many of us in this room at one point have walked away from our tower to be found in Jesus. And then over the course of time, we kind of wandered back because we got confused.
because we forgot who we are. And so we started building a life that is going absolutely nowhere. Have you gone back to building your tower? As the, we're going to go into a time of worship. And as we go into this time of worship, I want you to really ask God and process. The, the tower is different for each of us, you know? The tower is different for each of us. And so in this time, I, I just want you to pray, God, would you show me what I'm spending my life on? Would you show me what I'm, God, don't let me be in denial about it. Don't let me try and talk my way. Or search me, God. Know my heart. Know what's going on. Would you show me what I'm spending my life on? But then will you help me live like who I am? Will you let me know who I am? For some of us, God, would you show me who I am for the first time? Would you meet me here? Would you show me what unconditional love actually feels like? Because I don't know that I've ever experienced that in my life. In this time, would you seek God? Would you let God speak to you? Would you pray with me, everybody? Jesus. God, would you search each of us? And God, would you reveal to each of us our heart? Would you show us our anxieties? Would you show us our fears? Would you show us our arrogance? Would you show to us the tower that we're building with our lives? Jesus, I pray if there's any person in this room that who does not know who they are, that has never found their Father in heaven, that has never met their Savior, Jesus, I ask in your name that tonight's the night that they meet you. God, reveal your love to each of us. Let us see your love and what it's like. Let us live in it. Give us confidence, God. This week, give us confidence to go out and, you know, people think I'm stupid, whatever, I'm God's kid. People think I'm terrible at what I do, whatever, I'm God's kid. Would you let us live in your love and would you let us live in your truth and would you let us run after you each and every day? So God, meet us here, meet us in this time, speak to us. Each of us have a different story. Each of us have a different tower. Each of us need to hear a different thing. So God, would you speak what only you can speak? We ask this in your son's name, Jesus Christ. Amen. Once again, seriously, thanks for taking the time to listen to this podcast. If you have any questions about anything that we talked about, please don't hesitate at all to reach out. Uh, You can shoot a direct message to our Instagram, but I'd also love to give you my personal email. It's J-O-B-O-G-U-E at graceohio.org. And if you shoot an email to that, I'd love to talk with you about anything going on at all. Once again, we'd love to see you in person at Collective. We meet at 754 Gent Road, Fairlawn, Ohio at 7 o'clock every Thursday night. And we'd hope to see you there.